Lord, how Good morning. When you look outside, can you feel the resurrection? Can you see it? Can you taste it? It's sweet. And that's why we're here today. On the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. So we make it a monument once a week. We come to worship. Brother David asked to read, asked me to read, to open this service, 1 John chapter 4. Before we do that, I'm going to read a couple verses or three verses out of the book of Ezekiel. And the reason why is because the man John that wrote this book probably at this point in his life was getting older. As I understand it, it's the same man that wrote the gospel according to John. And coming up in the future, because of his zeal for the Lord, even though in the writings he appears to be like a gentle, kind man, they're going to, people that disagree with God are going to see this man as dangerous to their cause. They're going to send him into prison on the Isle of Patmos, and then he gets the Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible that we read. So John is writing to us um, in 1 John chapter 4. It starts off, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. So we're going to talk about, or we're going to be reading about in 1 John chapter 4, the Spirit of God. Have you ever met God? What's God look like? That's what I want to get out of Isaiah. Several men in the Old Testament seen visions of heaven or were dreams, whatever. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, and let's just, let's just read this. Let's understand the spirit we're going to be reading about in John that John talks about. Let's understand what that looks like. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26. There were, Ezekiel talked about a lot of things he's seen in this vision, and really neat things. You should go back and read it sometime. And there's a firmament, so it starts off in verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins, even upward, from the appearance of his loins, even downward, I saw it was the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about it. As the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. That light that brightness, that fire, that's the spirit we're getting ready to read about. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Epistle of 1 John chapter 4. John's going to use a phrase in this, little children. I think that means all of us. This older man is advising us. I think I've said this before. It's like, Hey, you boys listen to this. I have some really good information here. 
And then there's another word that's important to understand here is propitiation. When, you, when we come across that, know that means the satisfaction or the appeasement for our sins. So 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You are of, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of terror, or of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that, way, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made in perfect love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Verse 4 in this chapter says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The preceding verses there talk about this spirit of Antichrist that we know is going to come into the world. Do you believe in spirits? Do you think that in this room right here that there are spirits floating around in the air? Um, we sometimes refer to spirits as ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? What's going on in the spiritual world? These days, there are possibly health things we want to know about, and so we can go take a test. 
We'll take this test and we'll learn whether we have a disease or a virus or not. This, this test will come back positive or negative. But then if you go read into the data or the instructions for the test, there's always a margin of error. In this chapter here, when it comes to the spirits that I believe are going on, we have a fail-proof test. It's either right or it's wrong. And it says that, i got to find it now, I didn't write it down. If a spirit confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, it is of God. If the spirit won't confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, it is not of God. God being that bright fire um, represented by stones that we read about back there in Ezekiel, that being that we can't even explain, that we want to meet, that we want to know, that we want to have a relationship with, lives inside of us, per uh, verse 4 there. Because we are of God, and this world system that is controlled by the devil has absolutely no power when it comes to that great God, and he lives inside of us, and he is greater than he that lives in the world. So what are we going to do with that? Well, we can, we can take the test. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? If you come across something in your daily life, um, if you're at work, maybe you're on the internet, whatever you're doing, the power lives inside of you. You can ask the question verbally out loud if you need to, is, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Try that out sometime whenever you're debating whether you should do this or not. It sounds like, well, that won't always make sense to everything I'm facing. Try it out sometime because that's the, the perfect test. And then we know that he lives inside of us. But the other thing we'll do is love our brother. How are you doing on that one? <laughs> um, sometimes that's not very easy. All of you here, we're, we're here to worship. We know each other. Pretty um, familiar place. Pretty easy to love, but who is my brother? Uh, Jesus himself came and died for all of our sins. He was that propitiation I mentioned. And here in the, the verses that it mentioned, the propitiation, verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. So take the test and love your brother. And with that, I'm going to take some prayer requests here. We're going to go to prayer. And Ivan, can you pray? What do you have on your heart that you would like us to pray for or to praise God about. Pray for Laura. She headed to the hospital this morning with some pain. Cephas made it home safe from 
Haiti and Florida and pray for wildfires in Nebraska? Beth? Remember to pray for Rollin and Pat. Zach? We have started training for the Kairos prison ministry, and so there's going to be a group of men from the outside and a group of men from the inside that meet, and the, the hearts of, of, of those men need to be changed. So pray for uh, the prison bars of our souls to be removed. It's really the prayer. Pray for the Kairos prison ministry and for the prison bars of our souls to be removed. Ivan, let's pray. Good morning and welcome. We invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll get to that in just a little bit, but that's where we'll start. This morning, as you can tell, the message is about the Holy Spirit, particularly the sealing of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And because today's message is not about flesh and blood, it's not about material things, it's about the spiritual kingdom. It's about the real kingdom that's way more real than the one we live in right here. The things that we touch and we, we breathe and we move in and we think we're doing and where all our activities are taking place in, it's not as real as the spirit kingdom. And the Holy Spirit has come and has sealed those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that's our interest today is that we might, might be able to explain, might be able to talk about it so that everybody who has become a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you've just become a believer or you've been one for decades, it doesn't matter, but you need to have some, some understanding of the spirit world and what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And so today, that's our, the burden of our heart, is to explain something. And, I, and it takes a lot of different kinds of words here. And so we've put a lot of things up here on the board, and we're going to refer to this now and then, because this, all of these kinds of things are a description of the Holy Spirit's seal of the living God. And we'll come to these things as we go through some of these passages. Well, we want to visualize some things, first of all, because we're visual people and, and we live in a material world and it helps us to start to understand concepts if we can visualize things. So let's think about a canning jar here. How many of you have been involved with canning in the summertime sometimes? Okay, there's a lot of experience here in this room, a lot more than I have probably. But anyway, and I'm not going to tell you, maybe that's peaches, maybe that's green beans, we don't want to think it's worms or anything. But anyway, it's something that came out of the garden and that you, you planted it and you water it and you weed it and then you pick it and you prep it and you wash it off and you get it into the container and you heat it up and you get to the right temperature for the right period of time and it becomes sealed and maybe even put a label on it now maybe in your cupboards you don't label all the cans that you put up last summer but if you're going to give it away or, or if you're going to sell it to someone there's going to be a label on it and when you put a label on something that's been sealed like that You've created authenticity. You've authenticated what that thing is and where it's from. And it's, and it's describing ownership of that thing that's been preserved. 
and in preservation, there is security of that thing. You know what it is. You know who it came from, and, it, and it's secured, and so that there's a destination. There's a day, someday, when you're going to open that can up, that jar up that's been sealed, and you're going to reveal the contents of that. And so it was sealed for the purpose by the owner, for security, it's authenticated, it has a destination. But over here, we have an envelope. How many of you have ever received an envelope with a, with a wax seal on the back of it like that? In today's world, not so many. But it does happen sometimes. But in this wax seal, you understand some things real quick. There's something very special here. Someone, the owner of this envelope that sent it to you, chose you to send it to. And he put his seal on it. And it's not intended for anyone else but you. And so there's ownership on display here real fast. And there may be symbols here. There's actually a symbol in there. You may not be able to see it. You have to get real close and hold that envelope and you can see that symbol that's right there. Because the ownership of that is unique. And that person that sent that to you had something in that content that he wanted to tell you about. And it may contain some personal love notes in there. There may be some explanations of information. There may be some methods and procedures that we're going to do and some plans that have been made. And there may be some encouragement for the future. We have to think of this as something like that God has sent to you and me. And he put his seal on it. He said, I'm sending this to you. This is my message to you. This is my love letter to you. This is my explanations to you and the things that are going to happen, the procedures and how we're going to get there. We have a destination in the future with you. And I put it in this love letter to you. And I've got your address on it. That's how special the sealing of the Holy Spirit is to us. Because God chose us and he seals us with his spirit and he gives us the content that we need to know what to do in this life and what is ahead in the life to come. I have something else in my pocket here. Got too many things in my pocket. Let's get the right thing out. Okay. <clears throat> this little circle. <clears throat> It's a bronze medallion from 1868. 1868 was the first election for the president, the vice president, in the United States after the Civil War. This medallion is a political statement. It has on the front the pictures of two men, Seymour and Blair. They were running for president and vice president against Ulysses S. Grant and Colfax. And you may remember that Ulysses S. Grant became the president. He had been the general of the North that had won the Civil War. So he was running for president. Pretty good chance he was going to get elected, and he did. But you know, this <coughs> medallion was something, this was like a uh, political memorabilia. That if you went to a, a rally of some kind, 
then the, the Seymour and Blair ticket would give you one of these, and then it has a little hole drilled in it, and you would wear it around your neck. And so this becomes a medallion, this becomes a seal that is your allegiance. This is the tenets of what you believe and who you support. Because on the back of this are the tenets of their platform. And there's words stated on it. And this is where I got the idea of putting these words up here. Because here's the words of their platform. And it says, General Amnesty. You've got to put this in 1868, right after the Civil War. They were running on the platform, General Amnesty for everybody. And equal, a uniform currency, so everyone would have the same kind of money system. And equal taxes and equal rights. That was the tenets of their platform. They lost for a lot of reasons. There were some other reasons that they didn't even put on here is part of why they lost, because they, 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 one of the phrases they also used was, it's a white man's country, white men should rule. They lost. <laughs> and other things like that. <clears throat> but when they lost, they disappeared kind of from history, because none of you probably remembered that Seymour and Blair ran against Ulysses S. Grant. And so on the day that it was announced that the election had been lost for these two men, there was a, man, there was a person in Tip City, Ohio. Maybe it was called Tippecanoe, Ohio, back then. Tip City, Ohio, he was walking out to his smokehouse to get the bacon. He thought, boy, this is kind of worthless. And he dropped it next to his smokehouse. A couple years ago, I found it there. Where'd it go? In... Okay. I kind of want to keep it, but anyway. <laughs> I'm a landscaper, and I dig holes, and I dig up things. And, we, and especially when we're working around an old building, in this case it was a smokehouse, and there had been an original log cabin next to it near Tip City. And uh, as we dig... We notice things, a lot, the, the most fun things we often find are marbles. They're real bright. They're, they really jump out when you roll the dirt over and marble rolls out. That's kind of fun to find. And one day as I was digging through, up next to the smokehouse, as the dirt rolled over, this round object rolled out of the dirt. I thought, is it a coin of some kind? I took it and I started rubbing it and cleaning it off a little bit. And I thought, well, it's not a coin. So I put it in my pocket and studied it later and realized this, was, this is currently over 150 years old. Someone had thrown it away in Tip City because they had lost. It wasn't that seal, that thing that they supported that was, you know, was right on their chest. It was everything that they believed and they supported, but it was no longer necessary and they just threw it away. Threw it away. <clears throat> I say that because that's not the way the Holy Spirit seal of the living God works. Because when he seals you, it's not something to be thrown away. It is something that affects the heavens. It is something that is known in the heavens, that all the angels and all the demons of Satan know that you've been sealed. And you have been put on the Lord's side. And it's not something to be tossed off in any way. Now, if you've opened to Ephesians chapter 1, my chief interest is in verses 13 and 14. And we're going to get to that. 
But I want to read what's ahead of that. It's so important always to put things in context that you understand what is leading up to these statements that he's going to make about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Because there's so much here that is preliminary to understanding all that's behind me here. So Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, and take this personal, you and I today, this was written for you and I as well, in the Spirit. Listen to what he says and take it personal. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's why I was talking about this. All that we're talking about here today is not just of the material things of this. We're, we're talking about things that are going on in the heavenly places. And it's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has blessed us in all of these ways in the heavenly places with all spiritual blessing. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And you could dwell for a long time on just on that phrase. That God chose you and me to be his children, to be his believers, to be his followers, to be his servants. And he wants to put a mark on us, a seal on us, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit. So he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated. So he had a destiny, he had a destination in mind for you and me. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So he not only chose us, but he has adopted us as his own children. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He not only chose us and he adopted us, but he makes us accepted in the beloved. And he wants to put his seal on us. And we're going to get to that in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now 13 and 14. He's going to be talking about people who have come to know the Lord and his, the gospel and have believed and trusted that and that God is going to put his seal on them. So he says in verse 13, And in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. And that's the beginning of it. To hear the word of truth, to hear the gospel, to hear the Bible, to hear the words of God, whether that's in preaching or whether that's in something you hear on the radio or some program or in whatever form that you hear it, you have heard the word of God. And then after that, you trust it. You put your trust, you put your assurance in that. And it's the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. We're going to focus on those two verses for just a little bit because there's a powerhouse of things right there. And there's all of this up there too that we have written behind us. But primarily the four main words, the top, bottom, left, and right words is in this right here. So we we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so we have that first thought of ownership. That God has chosen us, he has adopted us, he has declared us to be accepted, he has forgiven us, he has redeemed us, we have trusted that, we have believed that, and he puts his seal and says, you're mine. And that seal is eternal, and that's in the spirit world, and it exceeds everything that we know in this world. And that Holy Spirit is a spirit of promise, that there are things that are embedded in that, that are coming later. That's part of the destination. And it's part of the working of that and and how the Spirit is going to be able to authenticate itself in you and I. And that our security is in that because this comes from God himself. And it's an earnest of our inheritance. It's a down payment, which is a verifying kind of thing. That there is going to be an inheritance. There is a destination. There is a thing that's going to come and a lot of things that are going to come. And it's not all here yet. But in this life, you're going to have a sense of the down payment of that, which verifies that this is the Spirit of God working in your hearts. And he also declares there, and it's going to come at a later time, when the redemption of the purchased possession, because God has purchased me. It's just not based on some kind of a hope to or, you know, sort of a nice relationship. It's a declaration that God possesses me because he purchased me. He owns me in every way. And those kind of thoughts should change the way you go through life. Because it's not just a casual thing. This is something that happens in heaven. And it happens, and it's in the knowledge of all the angels, and all, they all understand what side you're on. And God says, this one, I have put my seal on. Because he's mine. And I have a plan for him. And all through his life, he's going to know that I'm going to work in his life. I'm going to verify myself. And he's going to be secure in the knowledge of those things. Because my seal is upon him. Now, Let's talk about some more of these things. Let's talk about ownership just a little bit here. We don't need to turn back there, but in Ezekiel chapter 9, there's a little picture there. And there's a picture of an angel that comes, and he has a writer's inkhorn at his side. And God tells him, you take, you take the writer's inkhorn and the pen that you have, and you go and you put a mark on these people's heads that believe in me, that are in the kingdom of God. You mark them, and then there are all the rest of them, all the angels or whatever he was talking to there, you go out and you slaughter everyone that doesn't have the mark of the living God on their head. 
God put his ownership in a mark on their forehead. And everyone else, he said, begin with the old men at the temple that don't have a mark on their head. You start with them and you slaughter every man, woman, and child, except those that have the mark on their forehead. Ownership is important to God. A similar kind of a picture in Revelation chapter 7. Let's just turn back there, if you will. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, the first few verses here, you have the, the uh, and after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor the, any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Here it is. Here's the picture. An angel that has the seal of the living God. He comes into John's view. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And it goes on and says that 144,000 Jews were sealed with the seal of the living God in their foreheads. And then you move over just slightly to chapter 9, the first couple of verses there. And you have the opening of the fifth trumpet judgment. Chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given powers. The scorpions of the earth have power, and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now that was specifically referring to 144,000 Jews that were marked. But God is serious that there is coming a judgment time. And he's going to separate those that are destroyed from those that are kept by how they're marked. So we're here in what we call the church age. I don't see any marks on anyone's forehead here. So how are we marked today? Well, this is what we're talking about today. We have a mark. We have a seal. We have a stamp. We have an indication. We have a designation that God wants to put on us. And he calls it the Holy Spirit seal of the living God. Because he wants to make it clear that he owns us. He's going to give us that security. He's going to authenticate us throughout our lifetime. He's going to authenticate his presence, his indwelling in us. Because he has a destination in mind. And he wants us to be there. It's not something just to throw away. Or to be casual about in any way. You have been sealed in the presence of heaven. In, the, in that way. Now, let's also turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, excuse me, let me just read that verse to you. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. You have to wonder, okay, what's next? He's describing this seal. What is this seal that he's saying? The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
Now that's a seal. Because it's saying that, the, that God is declaring his ownership. The Lord knows everyone that's his. That's the Holy Spirit seal of ownership of God in our life. And everyone that, that names the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. And that calls us all to be people, to take seriously this, this seal that has been put upon us and that we should find ways to recognize that we are committing sin and iniquity and we need to depart from it, run away from it, call it out for what it is and get away from it. Because all through this life that you and I are living, Satan is after us in some very serious ways because it so angers him that he doesn't have ownership over us and he wants to confuse us and he wants to, to torment us and to destroy us. But we can be secure and be verified, be authenticated because the Holy Spirit is going to keep reminding you that the seal of the living God is upon you. Now, if you want to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll look at a couple of verses there along this same thought of ownership. First Corinthians chapter 6, the last two verses, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? There's indwelling. We have that written up here as well. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. It's the presence of God. It is inside of you, indwelling your spirit, and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns us. He's put his seal on us. He says, I own you. I want your body to become a dwelling place that I will reside in, with you throughout your life until you leave this world and you come into the eternal heavenly places. I invite you over to John chapter 14. Just think a bit about the promises concerning the Holy Spirit. We have promises here and fruit the indwells, the intercedes, those are all characteristics of the Holy Spirit as well. But let's think about the promises just a little bit. John chapter 14, picking it up in 16. 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and this is Jesus talking the night before he was crucified. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive which it seeth him not, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know me, know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. That's Jesus Christ speaking. He had said just previous to this that it was expedient that he would leave so that the comforter would come, but he's also saying when the comforter comes, when the spirit of truth comes, I am coming to be inside of you. In 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. 
At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That's the indwelling. That's the, part, the promise of the Spirit unto every believer. You're not in a casual relationship with God. You don't really live as an island. You're not really just a person that says, well, you know, I, I wear a Christian medallion. I'm, I'm sort of Christian, but I can lay it down when I want to. That's not what God's interested in. God wants you to feel marked, to know that you've been chosen, that you're marked, you're, you are identified with him, and that he is living inside of you. And your physical body becomes the temple of his indwelling presence. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him make, and make our abode with him. 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. There's a promise. That's an amazing promise. That the Holy Spirit is going to be indwelling inside of us and is going to teach us what we need to know and to bring things to remembrance so that we can remember. Sometimes it's really hard to read something and then remember all this there, but the Holy Spirit is there. You don't have to be depending on the memory cells in your brain. Because the Holy Spirit has promised to bring those things back to your memory, to remind of who God is and the, and the hand that God has upon you so that you don't ever forget those things. And you're going to be able to, to discern truth and error, as our brother was reading there in, in John chapter four, uh, 1 John 4, to be able to, to try those spirits and to, to separate between truth and error. That's what the presence of the Holy Spirit is for. Because it's sometimes so hard for us to understand how we're being deceived. But the Holy Spirit has promised to help us discern between the true things and the, and the erroneous things that are out there. And also, in chap, John chapter 16, turn over a page or so. John chapter 16, verse 13, one verse. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth repeating a very similar statement from a little bit before that. Guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Why is that in there? Because God's plan is he has a destination for you and I. And he doesn't want us to be surprised. And I believe, I firmly believe that those that are standing on the earth when thing, the end times are occurring, that we're going to know that because the Holy Spirit is going to inform us of that and you will know what's happening and you will not be surprised when the heavens open and Jesus is coming because you'll be looking for him. That's a promise that you can take right on into eternity because the Holy Spirit is going to be there to make sure his, the, the ones who are marked in the, in the, that are alive in this world at that time, they will know what is happening and will not be deceived. It's going to be a time of tremendous deception. It's going to be a rough time. And, this, and this Satan and his demons are going to be working way over time, trying to deceive and trip up every Christian 
to give up their faith and to, to not want to believe God. And it's going to be a time when you, have, you will have nothing left but to trust the Holy Spirit. Because maybe all the material things around you are so messed up and so destroyed and there's nothing secure, but all you're going to have is the Holy Spirit. And you need that seal of the Holy Spirit upon you for that purpose. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 5, I know we're skipping around a lot, but this is a big subject. That I've tried to condense this down into something we could handle just a little bit, but Galatians chapter 5, at the end of that chapter, and you've read this many times, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's another part, another promise, another aspect of the Spirit of God indwelling inside. It's going to produce something, produce changes, produce a different kind of person. We read in our Sunday school class this morning about Saul being given a new heart. We are, we are a new creature. We are given a new heart. It's going to change the way you think and how you act and how you treat other people. And so you have here the fruit of the Spirit, chapter Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And that, that's the result in our everyday life. Of someone who has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, it has to be visible. It has to become, even though there's not a, a physical mark on your head, it should be quite visible. <laughs> that you have the Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. That you are different than the ones who don't have that seal. You have a different mindset. You have a different perspective, a different point of view on everything. And it should be obvious, even though there's no mark visible yet. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we could read the entire chapter, but I'm trying to, to pull it down and, and just pull a section of this. Because here we're talking about, here we're understanding some things about the indwelling of the Spirit and the intercession, the interceding of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9 down through 18. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's an important concept right there. Yes, we're in the flesh. We're standing here. We can touch each other. We can see each other. We're in the flesh. But he said, in a spirit sense, in a spirit world, you're not really in the flesh. You're in the spirit. And that makes you a different person. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See, that's, that's the seal. If there's not a seal put on a person, he does not belong to God. I wouldn't want to go to judgment like that. Because judgment is real. There's a lot of people today that don't believe. That the world is going to come to an end, there's going to be a final judgment, and that there's actually a heaven and a hell. They don't really know what it's going to happen, but it's none of that stuff. But the Bible makes it crystal clear. Yes, there is a judgment time. And either you are sealed by the Holy Spirit or you're not. 
the separation of the sheep and the goats, the white throne judgment. All of that is crystal clear in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's read on here. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. This is verse 10. Because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. For, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now there's a powerful thought. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from being dead in the tomb to being resurrected. That same spirit that did that is he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Do you ever have a sense that, you, that you're, a, you're just a weak person? Yeah, in ourselves we often feel that. But <clears throat> we have the same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is dwelling inside of you and is the one, the power that can quicken your physical body to be all that he wants you to be in this life because he has a destination in mind for you. So it's that same spirit. <clears throat> Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, of a father. Could there be any more security than knowing that? That we have the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he also says, you can call me father because you are adopted, you are my son, and you are secure, and you are protected, and there is no power that can prevail over you because the Holy Spirit is upon us. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Bearing witness with our spirit. Now that's verification. That's authentication. That's authenticity. That's the Holy Spirit doing things, saying things, causing things to happen in your life, and it verifies that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. I've been meditating on this, past, this sermon for a few weeks. And anyone who's ever preached will tell you that sometimes there's a battle, a huge battle. A few nights ago, I woke up in total dread in, the, in my spirit because Satan was giving me a lie again that I've heard before. <coughs> That he'll wake me up in the middle of the night, or at this time I was just as I was waking up, and I was in a complete dread. And, and, and the, the lie that was going through my heart and my head was, you murdered someone. You murdered some, You hid their body. You got rid of that. You never confessed it. And when you go to judgment, you're going to go to hell because you murdered somebody. And that lie was going ripping through my heart. And I finally couldn't take it, and I told my wife. And she, she commanded the demon out of there. This is a verification. Because I knew it was a lie of Satan. 
and yet the feelings of it is so dreadful, and it's so heavy. And a few nights later, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and thought I was having a heart attack. Saturday, yesterday morning, I went back into my old patterns of the, of the problem I had where I couldn't swallow, and I couldn't swallow, and I was throwing everything up, and, all of, and the, it was like a constriction on my throat. This is, the, this is the power of Satan on you to defeat you and to destroy you, to make you discouraged. And you think, man, I should call my brother and have him preach for me because this, this, you know. And then we start, and we got, we're pulling our notes together and so forth and got into the evening and, and I kind of laid it down for a little while and I was going to go back to it. And I was just having this, this tremendous, overwhelming sense. That's the stupidest message you could ever come up. That's going to be so boring. That's going to be so... Everyone's going to laugh at you. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. You should just call somebody else to do it. And all that was going through my head again, and I had to tell my wife again. Well, I wanted to tell her. It's not that I had to, but... It's necessary to share those things. Because if you just leave it inside, it just keeps whirling around in your head. So I went back downstairs and I, and I opened up the book of Ephesians. I read the entire book of Ephesians out loud to remind me of those promises, remind me of who God was, and that he has the power over those things. And you don't have to be subjected to those things. Well, you will be, but you can, you can overcome that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe a few months ago, you remember, I was telling you a story at the end of the sermon about being in college and getting involved in some kind of meditation thing. And it got to the point where I realized that they were, the, the, message, the idea was you're to call in these uh, spirit guides into your life and, and to bring them into your, your meditations. And immediately the Spirit of God told me, uh-uh, we're not going there. I'm a visual person. And the walls went up, and I was completely covered up in a, in a brick wall cavity, and I could hear the spirit guides out there and the demons out there, and the Holy Spirit was telling me, no, you're mine. I have my mark on you. I've got my seal on you. You're not going there. You don't have to go there because you have all power is already given to you. And I got up and walked out of there. <clears throat> Authenticity. The Holy Spirit will verify in your life his presence and, that, and his seal, the seal of God upon your heart. And that's, that's a secure thing. I want to finish what we were just reading here, the important thought here. Verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. So that's the verification, that's the authentication that can go on. That we are the children of God. And if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. See, there's a destination. There's a time of glory coming. We don't really know what glory is, but we're going to know someday. It's going to be revealed. And here it says this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's like, it's like opening up the, the can of peaches. Okay? Finally, it's revealed. There's going to come a day when that, all, that seal is broken. And you know, there's only one person that has the authority to open that seal. And, that, and we, we saw that in Revelation where he had that, 
that scroll with the seven seals and, and John was crying, who is worthy to open up the seals of this book? There's only one. And there's going to come a day when the Lord Jesus is going to break that seal and there's going to be glory revealed in us. That's what it tells us here. God's destination for you and me. And also the same chapter, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's talking about the things going on in our everyday life. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. <clears throat> Sometimes we feel pretty inept at talking with God. <laughs> and we're just undone. But that's what the Holy Spirit's there for too. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's happening in your life. And, and the Spirit of God is going to be there talking to the, to the Heavenly Father, interceding for us with groanings that cannot be spoken, that cannot be words put to it. What a power that is upon us. I'd like to turn to two last passages, a couple of verses, Revelation, as we pull this to a close. Revelation chapter 3. And we're in the letter that was written to the church at Philadelphia. And at the end of every one of these letters, there was a promise given to those who are overcomers. And each one is unique at the end of each letter. And in this letter to Philadelphia, we're going to start at verse 10, read 10, 11, and 12. Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the, all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Now there's a picture in Revelation of a day is coming when the Lord has promised to those that overcome that they're going to become, they're going to be made like a pillar. And I don't know exactly what that means to be a pillar in heaven, but let's go find out. But he says he's going to write the name of the city of God. He's going to write the name, and he's going to write the new name of Jesus Christ. Now, finally, go back to chapter 22. Similar thought as we bring this to a close. Revelation 22. And it, this is starting out... Um, well, verse 4 is where I'm heading, but let's just get the picture here. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, 
which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. You know, right now, like I mentioned before, the church age, we don't have anything visible here. Maybe is this invisible ink or something? But there's going to come a time, it's going to be written right across there. The name of God is going to be upon us. <clears throat> We're going to be there in the temple. We have a destination. And along the way, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit sealed upon us, indwelling in us, interceding for us, and changing the way we live and think and view things. Because God has a plan, and he wants to bring it to fulfillment. So I don't know where you are today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed, just like we've been describing. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, none of these things we've been talking about apply to you. Because there's only two destinations. And either you are sealed by the Holy Ghost, or you're not. So I encourage you. Find out. If you, if you don't know that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you have belief in Jesus Christ, you need to read. You need to talk. You need to pray. You need to seek the face of God. Say, Lord Jesus, show me. I don't want to end this world without being sealed by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Let's go to prayer. <clears throat>